are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Well, take your Bible with me and turn to Exodus chapter number 3 tonight, please. The book of Exodus chapter number 3. And I want to say hello, North Valley Baptist Church family. And pastor's already mentioned it many times, but it's so true that we miss seeing everybody. And uh, you're huddled around the television, maybe an iPad, a computer, or your phone watching. And we want you to know that it's not the same as being together, but isn't God good to still afford us and allow us opportunity like this to meet together. We're here, you're there, we're still out there. Amen. You're not alone. God is still on the throne and in control. And also I want to welcome folks. We know there are folks watching around our nation and even around the world. And I'm just privileged to be a part of this. And I was thinking as we watched um, our pastor in the pulpit a moment ago, I'm glad for this in, in a way. And I know it's a big burden, but I think God will use this for us as a younger preachers to watch how a man goes through something like this. And we'll be able to use this one day, and I appreciate that. And I've noticed every time the president comes on the platform to speak, he, he acts presidential. And uh, I believe the office of a preacher is above the office of the president. And I appreciate the way that so far we've been led in navigating this situation. And I'm looking forward to getting to meet together again soon, just as the Lord permits. Exodus chapter number 3. God has laid a message on my heart this evening that I pray will be an encouragement to you and a challenge to your heart, just like it was to mine. In Exodus chapter 3, let's read verse number 1 down through verse number 4 this evening. The Bible says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now that doesn't help you, but that helps me. You say, Brother Cooper, why does that help you? Because here the Bible proves that Moses married into a hillbilly family. It says right there, his father-in-law's name was Jethro. Anyway, the Bible said the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. Now, we understand and know very well what happens with Moses. Not long after this, Moses is commissioned by God. Pharaoh is brought to his knees. The people of God trade out bondage for liberty, and they cross through the Red Sea as on dry ground. They'll begin their march toward the promises of God. The rock will be smitten in Horeb. Manna falls from the heavens. God shows himself powerful and withholds, or rather, uh, upholds his word and comes through. Moses is used in a mighty way. But I dare say that if it hadn't been for something that takes place in chapter 3, we wouldn't have ever had a Moses. Sort of seems insignificant. It seems sort of of no value, but can I say it was very significant when God got in it and God uses this object to influence a Moses. The Bible says in verse number two, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. Now had that bush burned and gone out, maybe Moses would have just quit paying attention to it. Had that bush burned and was it consumed, then maybe Moses never would have approached it and God never would have spoken from it. It was imperative necessary, very important, that that bush stay on fire and keep burning for Moses. Now tonight, you might be listening to me and you say, Brother Cooper, I feel rather insignificant. 
I sort of feel like I'm maybe of no value. Can I say you're just like me? We're just ordinary, usual, backside of the desert bushes. Not a whole lot to look at, nothing special in the eyes of the Lord, or rather the world. But can I say to some Moses out there tonight, you might be the most important object God ever places in their pathway. And I want to encourage you, especially during times like these, stay on fire for your Moses. Let's pray and I'll give you the message for tonight. Lord, I ask for your power. I need your touch. I pray that you'd encourage your people. They're scattered about all over our city in their homes, all around our country, around the world. And Lord, I pray that you'd give them a fresh word from heaven tonight. I pray that we'd sense a spirit of genuine revival in these times. I pray you'd meet the need of our church and every Bible-believing, preaching local church around our world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God works in mysterious ways. In the Bible, we see that the thoughts of God are higher than the thoughts of man. The ways of God are far beyond the ways of man. What we can't even hope to accomplish in dream, God has readily at his disposal. And let me stop and say that I'm glad that's our God. I'm glad that our God isn't limited where I'm limited. I'm glad our God is not bound where I'm bound. I'm glad God's ability does not cease where my ability ceases, but I'm glad, like the questions asked, is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer is no, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. But I would say probably the most magnificent way that God chooses to work is when God chooses to do the extraordinary through the ordinary. In far greater fashion than a magician who pulls a rabbit out of a hat, God often calls the remarkable out of that which is simply run-of-the-mill. For example, Mount Sinai was just a mountain until God chose to speak from it. Bethlehem was just a small town until one of its silent nights was interrupted by the cry of a baby, born not for the cradle but destined for a cross. The Jordan River was just a stream, really, until one day Jesus waded into the water and was baptized beneath its flow. The road to Damascus was just a street until one day God used it to be the potter's wheel that turned a persecutor named Saul into a mighty preacher named Paul. The Isle of Patmos was just a place of isolation, a desolate island, until one day John received his revelation. You see, God often calls the notable out of the nothing. God calls the greatest out of the least. God calls the esteemed, if you will, out of the everyday. Now, we've been conditioned that whenever we think about God moving and working, we think about miraculous things, and rightly so. When I think about God working and moving, I hear a booming voice. I see terrible plagues. I see the Red Sea parting and the mouths of lions shut. I see lightning flashing and hear the thunder roll and scenes beyond the wildest imagination of man. But I want to tell you tonight that sometimes God does his biggest work through an ordinary bush that just stays on fire. In Exodus chapter 3, the Bible puts us in the backside of the desert. We are in the land of Midian about 117 miles northeast from the Hebrew nation, who's suffering under hard bondage at the hand of Pharaoh. The scene opens at the base of Mount Horeb, and we have a seed amidst the bawling flocks of, of Jethro, the priest of Midian. Now, they're being tended by his son-in-law, a man named Moses. Now, there's an amazing lesson that we can learn in the classroom of this chapter. As we enter into the chapter, we see Moses, a fugitive. Moses, a son-in-law. Moses, a shepherd. Moses in Midian, which means a desolate region and an empty land. He's in obscurity. 
But by the end of the chapter, Moses has heard the voice of God. He's heard the call of God. He's been taken from obscurity and put on the center stage of the world. And here's the lesson. God often sees if you and I will be faithful in obscurity before he gives us opportunity in the spotlight. I dare say that Moses had to be faithful tending the sheep if he was gonna have opportunity to lead a nation. Can I say the lesson is this, you be faithful where you are now. Too many Christians are looking for the next thing. They're waiting on the big opportunity. But can I say it's faithfulness in the least of these that opens the door for greater things for the glory of God. You just serve now. Serve your Sunday school class now. Sing in the choir now. Run your bus route now. Love your husband and wife now. Love your children now. Pray, read, study, walk with God now. And you watch faithfulness in the shadows illuminates the spotlight when it comes to serving God. Now, in verse number two, the Bible gives us the story of an ordinary bush that stayed on fire. The Bible says, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. Now, a bush burning in the desert is nothing very noteworthy. Bushes burned in the desert all the time. I mean, the hot sun and the dry sand would make sure of that. I would say Moses had seen bushes on fire before. But there is something about this bush that was different. I don't doubt that maybe its fire was a little bit hotter. The flame that danced upon its branches, a little more alluring. Maybe the light that it gave forth, a little more illuminating. And as Moses gazed up on the mountain, he noticed that bush burned, but it didn't go out. It burned, but it stayed on fire. It burned, but it was not consumed. I can see Moses as he's watching those sheep and he looks up yonder on the mountain. He's passed that place many times before. He's tended sheep there many times before. Maybe he'd even walked past that bush and given it no thought whatsoever. But on this day, that bush caught his attention and it's about to change his eternal destiny. Now the Bible doesn't tell us how long the bush burned before Moses entered its presence. It doesn't tell us how long the bush burned after Moses left the mountain. It doesn't even tell us about the effects that that fire might have had on that little old bush on the backside of the desert. All we know is that bush was set on fire for a purpose. It was set on fire for a certain point in time and it was set on fire for a person. That bush must stay illuminated. It must stay on fire for the sake of Moses and accomplishing the will of God. From its fire, there'd be a prophet birthed. From its fire, we'd get a deliverer. From its fire, God would give his people a leader. It was important. It was necessary. It was vital, church, that that bush not lose its fire. Now, let me apply it. Every week, we get to assemble together, and we look across this great auditorium at the North Valley Baptist Church, and we see folks from every walk of life, every income bracket, every nationality, I mean, different stages and seasons in life, and the world would look at the crowd and say, nothing special about that crowd, nothing out of the ordinary about that crowd, nothing much to that crowd, and you're assembled tonight on your couch or at the kitchen table with your little family, and the world would say, that's nothing special, There's 
there's nothing out of the ordinary about that family, but can I encourage you tonight and say to the some Moses out there tonight who's wandering on the backside of the desert, who's walking in an empty land, wandering through a desolate region, you might prove to be the most important thing that God ever plants in the pathway of their life. You say, what is this place? It's just a Mount Horeb, that's all it is, and God has chosen to plant a bunch of folks here, just some old backside of the desert bushes to burn for the glory of God. Moses, he'd seen a lot of bushes. I mean, he'd seen big bushes and little bushes and pretty bushes and ugly bushes, but the bush that changed his life forever was a bush that just stayed on fire. Tonight, somebody needs your fire. There's a family that needs your fire. Husband, you've got a wife that needs your fire. Wife, there's a husband that needs your fire. Mom and daddy, there's children that needs your fire. Church, we need your fire, and we know you need ours, and our nation needs our, it's not time to grow cold on God. It's not time to get callous. It's not time to get depressed and discouraged and despondent and throw in the towel. It's time to burn, baby, burn for Jesus. We need a bush on the backside of the desert that'll just stay on fire. I love the Bible. The Bible's a book that records for us folks finding the divine purpose of God for their life and fulfilling it. And if ever we saw one finding the perfect will of God and doing it, it's here next to this three. Now, I know what you're thinking, Brother Cooper, duh. Moses finds the will of God and he does it. I understand that. But I'm not talking about Moses. I'm talking about a bush. You say about Brother Cooper, a bush is insignificant. Let me say this. The insignificant becomes very significant when God invades its life. And this is the record of the will of God being accomplished through a bush. In the divine providence of God, he let a seed be planted on purpose. He let that seed be warmed by the sun and watered by the rain. And he let that seed germinate beneath the soil. And in the divine timing of God, that little seed began to sprout and break through the earth and it began to bloom. It didn't grow into a stately cedar. It didn't grow into an exotic olive tree. It didn't grow into a beautiful rose of Sharon or a delicate lily of the valley. It simply grew into an old, ugly, thorny bramble bush. Nothing much to look at. It'd been scorched by the sun and blown about by the wind and scarred by the sand, you wouldn't want that on your dinner table. That wouldn't adorn a Lord's Supper table in the church. You wouldn't have that in your landscape. It just seemed to be of no value. But one day, God invaded its life. God moved inside, if you will. God set it on fire. That's just like us. There was a day the world had bent us. The world had broken us. We were bound in sin, but thank God one day Jesus passed by and grace and mercy came our way and we got saved by the grace of God and now that which was insignificant became significant. That of no value took on value because he that lives within us. John Wesley said, I set myself on fire and folks simply come to watch me burn. The psalmist said, while I was musing, the fire burned. And I want you to know, it's not time to get cold. It's time to stay on fire. You say, what was Noah? He was a bush and he burned in his generation. What was David? He was a bush and he burned in his generation. What was Jonah? A bush, and he burned in his generation. What was Esther? She was a bush, and she burned in her generation. What was Elijah? An old bush, but he burned in his generation. What was Peter and Paul? They were just bushes, but they burned in their generation. Can you imagine Moses? Comes down off the mountain. There's a CNN, well, I don't wanna, I don't wanna swear in church, but there was a news network there. And they wait for Moses to come down off of the mountain. They say, Moses, tell us. Tell us about shepherding. Tell us about your sheep. He'd say, what sheep? Tell us about the sand. What sand? 
Tell us about the scenery. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. All I know is there's a bush on fire up on that mountain. And when I got near that bush, God spoke to my soul. Now I want to give you three things quickly tonight that bush represents. And three things that we need to stay on fire for this evening. I know you're listening and it's weird. It's a strange time. I've been on the radio today and interacting with people through messages. It's just different. But can I say, if ever there were opportunity to, find, to try God and find him faithful and to prove the word of God and show that these promises are real, it's right now. And if ever the world needed to see not a cold, dead, discouraged Christian, it's right now. It's time for somebody to resolve by the grace of God. If he was good over on that side of the trial, he's good in the midst of it, and he'll sure be good on the other side of it. I'll just stay on fire for God. So what does Moses represent? Stay on fire. There's three reasons. Number one, Moses represents this, a name that might be called. Look at verse number four. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, watch this, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. That day in the desert, the fate of a nation is going to be changed by the simple calling of a name. All of a sudden from that mountain, Moses, Moses echoes forth. And from the burning branches of that ordinary little bush on the backside of the desert, God thunders. I'd say Moses started off that day with sheep on his mind, but he'll go to bed that night very voice of God echoing within his ears. You see, that bush had to burn. Had that bush not burned, Moses might have lived and died a shepherd. Had that bush not burned, Moses might have lived and died a fugitive. Had that bush not burned, Moses might have lived and died living on the backside of the desert. But that bush burned, and from it, God called forth a deliverer for his people. Now let me say, there's never an okay time for you and I to get cold on God. There's never an opportune moment for us to raise the white flag and surrender our faith in him. Why? Because every day, within eyesight and earshot of us, there is a candidate for the call of God. And nobody's ever been encouraged to do a great work for God, having discovered a dead, dry, depressed, defeated child of God. I tell you, it's more than a song. It's a way of life. I'm on the winning side. I don't just sing it. It's it's not a cliche. It's true, brother. I'm more than a conqueror because of him who loved me. And I tell you, I'm preaching tonight because I got around some preachers that like preaching. I'm in church tonight because I went to church with folks who like to go to church. I sing like we sing because I've been around some folks who sing with some zest and zeal. Nobody ever resolved to serve God and charge hell after hanging around a bunch of dead old, dry, cold Christians. It's not natural for a bush to burn. In fact, I'd say the other bushes would have said, that's weird. You know, it's not in style for a bush to burn. It's not real fashionable. It's unusual. It's definitely not popular for a bush to burn. That's okay. Those other bushes didn't make it in the Bible. The burning bush did. You're listening to me and say, but it's not popular to live separated. It's not popular to be old-fashioned. It's not popular to go to prayer meeting and Sunday morning and Sunday night and soul winning and bus route. It's not popular to give a tithe and it's not popular to uh, preach from the King James Bible. And it's not popular to say amen. That's okay. You can let that crowd do what they want to. But I'm trying to help a Moses get called into the ministry. Stay on fire tonight. There's somebody watching. Stay on fire. There's somebody following. Stay on fire. There's somebody standing. Stay on fire. There's somebody listening. It's not easy and it's not popular. Hey, but it's worth it all. A name might be called. I wonder how many sluggers there are tonight because Babe Ruth hit home runs. I wonder how many inventors there are tonight because of Thomas Edison making a light bulb shine. 
I wonder how many politicians, and I know that's a horrible illustration, but anyway, I wonder how many politicians are this evening because of a man named George Washington. I wonder how many folks have set out to explore and find because of a man named Christopher Columbus. Can I say a cold Christian is spiritually sterile? They cannot and do not reproduce. I've never seen a preacher or a young man surrender to preach after hearing a fellow stand up in a pulpit who acted miserable about what he was doing. I've never seen anybody enlist to teach a Sunday school class having gone out to coffee with somebody who's bitter, backslidden, and critical about teaching their own Sunday school class. I've never seen a young person grow up and be a, an ameneer and an encourager in church having sat with parents who sit there like they're depressed and discouraged when they go to church. I'm meddling and you're not even here to enjoy it. I'm just saying this, a cold preacher doesn't produce, a cold bus worker does not produce, a cold singer does not produce, a cold prayer warrior does not produce. It is a bush with zeal and a bush with spunk and a bush with energy and a bush that stays on fire that produces. I think about this, a cold general doesn't get his troops to charge the enemy. A cold coach doesn't get his team to rally at the halftime. A cold believer does not encourage another believer and there's a name out there depending on you. Moses was just Moses till God said Moses. Miriam had said Moses, Pharaoh had said Moses, Pharaoh's daughter had said Moses, but it didn't matter till God said Moses. Sunday school teacher, it's Bill today, it's Bobby today, it's Sally today, but wait till God says Bill, Bobby, Sally. It was just Lee Robertson till God said Lee Robertson. It was just Curtis Hudson, we heard him sing a moment ago, till God said Curtis Hudson. Moses didn't hear God when he was put in a basket. He didn't hear God when he was in the brickyard of Egypt. He did not hear God when he was raised in the palace. He heard the voice of God when he got in the presence of a bush that simply stayed on fire. Stephen burned and produced a Paul. Christ burned and produced a Peter. Elijah burned and produced an Elisha. Paul burned and produced, produced a Timothy. Moses burned and produced a Joshua. Aquila burned and produced an Apollos. Kimball burned and produced a Moody. Dawes burned and produced a Robertson. Rice burned and produced a Hiles. Chapman burned and produced a Sunday. And how, and we don't even know the man's name, but a deacon burned and produced a Charles Spurgeon. And you don't know who you're influencing during this time in close quarters, during this time of cabin fever. Mama, you're you're influencing, uh, you're influencing somebody. Daddy, you're influencing somebody. Big brother, you're influencing somebody. Big sister, you're influencing somebody. Co-worker, you're influencing somebody. And you say, not them, not them. It could be, oh, that's what they would have said about Moses. But when God said Moses, it made a big difference. Stay on fire. There's a name that could be called. Number two, Moses represents not just a name that could be called, but a nation that was in crisis. Look at verse number seven and eight. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them into the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So Moses represents some things. We have to stay on fire. Why? There's a name God might call. But number two, there's a nation that's in crisis. As the voice of the ages begins to reverberate inside the branches of that bush, God gets right to the point as to why he had summoned Moses to the top of the mountain. This is bigger than Moses. This is beyond Moses. The cause for this bush to burn is summed up in verse 7. God said, I've seen the affliction, not of just Moses, the affliction of my people. An entire nation stood in desperate need 
seed of a leader, a prophet, a deliverer, and they'd get it birthed from a burning bush. Can you see it? Israel's back is riven by the whip of the taskmasters. Their shoulders are heavy laden with the weight of bondage. Their hope is as black as the slime in the brickyard. Their life is as hard as the heart of Pharaoh himself. And the only way to turn it around is they needed somebody to take them from captivity to Canaan land. And that would happen because of a bush that stayed on fire. Tonight as the devil takes his whip and lashes it across the back of America. And we see our economy that was so strong going the wrong direction. And we see our society going the wrong direction. And we see many churches going the wrong direction. Can I challenge you tonight and say it's time for Christians to remove their head from the sand. Take your zeal from the shelf. Rip the wet blanket off of your heart and determine I'll stay on fire for the sake of my nation. Can I say tonight I'm unapologetically patriotic. I love America. Psalm 33, 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And you travel from sea to shining sea and it echoes to you, blessed. You look at the amber waves of grain and they testify, blessed. You go see the Rocky Mountains and they sing out, we've been blessed. God has blessed America. When history writes her final page, Egypt will be known for the pyramids. Greece will be known for the Parthenon. Rome will be known for her power. But America shall be known for the providence of God that has guided our good nation. Our mountains have been serenaded by prayer. Our valleys have been saturated by praise. And the hearts of our people have been stirred by old-fashioned Bible preaching tonight. I love my nation. Before we ever had electronic navigation, our nation had eternal navigation. And God's hand gripped the stern of our United States. One nation under God was not just a pledge. It was our privilege. As amazing grace would resound inside the walls of our churches, it was simultaneously displayed within the limitations of our borders. There was a day when you would say, America, where's your king? And they would respond, the king of glory is our king. America, where's your counselor? The word of God is our counselor. America, why are you blessed? Because of the bended knee of God's people. That's why we've been blessed. I love America. World wars can't defeat us. Depression didn't deflate us. The civil war didn't divide us. Terrorists didn't deter us. And disease, thank God, can't derail us. Our God is in control. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Let freedom ring. America has and still is, thank God, a sounding board for the gospel, a launching pad for missions, and a lighthouse of hope for the masses. God's favor has been on us culturally and socially and economically and educationally. God has been good to us. America. One of our founding fathers said, give me liberty or give me death. But can I say our nation's been privileged by God to give the world much more than liberty. We've given the world liberty and we've given the world safety and we've given the world economic help. And most of all, we've given this world the gospel. Had that bush not burned, Israel still be in bondage. Israel still be afflicted. But thank God for a burning bush. Oh, can I say our nation tonight needs you. Christian folks, our nation needs you. Mama 
Son, Dad, our nation needs you. North Valley Baptist Church, our nation needs you. It's not time to grow cold on America from our nation. We've had the world's best inventors, the best educators, the best statesmen, the best politicians, and the best soldiers. There's no nation like America. Nobody has a constitution like us. Nobody has the states like us. Nobody has an army or a navy or a Marine Corps or an Air Force like us. Nobody has a flag like us, laced with grace and hedged about by mercy and bought with the blood of our patriots. Nobody is like America from the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God has blessed America. America is the prize of freedom. She's the display of divine providence and a beacon of Bible truth. I believe our nation was birthed by the Bible, guided by grace, kept by the mercy and love of almighty God. You can deny it if you want to. You might tune into this by mistake and hear this and not like it and that makes me want to preach even more but can I say you can't deny it and there's no doubting it. You go see our monuments you'll find Bible verses on those monuments. You go to the Supreme Court and see the Ten Commandments above where those justices sit. Our nation's a nation built on the back of the Bible. Can I say tonight you and I sit or we stand on the very same soil that generations ago birthed not one but two great awakenings. This is the country. This is the nation. This is the land. This is the country of those great revivals. And can I say our nation wasn't built on Wall Street and it wasn't built on Main Street. It was built on the old highway of old-fashioned Bible preaching. And tonight it's not time to put down, uh, to, to board up the shop, to roll up our bags and go home on America it's time to still pray for America and serve America and witness to America and preach to America. Our nation might be in a crisis, but our God is in control. And can I say, we need you to stay on fire for the sake of our nation. You say, Brother Cooper, what did they preach? Well, there's two parts to this message. We've got to hurry. Number one, a nation in crisis needs to understand this. God's alive. Verse number seven, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Well, watch this, and have heard their cry. Now, I'm not, I'm not an expert on this, but I think probably something that can see and hear is alive. Can I say nothing can pull the nation any quicker out of crisis than hearing the cry come from a Christian who's confident in the truth. Our God's not dead. Thank God. Our God is alive. Can I say our God is an immutable God? That means He's an unchanging God. That means God is what He ever was. That means God was what He ever is and God will be what He's ever been. I mean, you can't change it and you can't kill God. God's the wellspring of life. Can I say it doesn't matter? Adam fell into sin, but it didn't kill God. Israel rebelled, but it did not kill God. Jezebel, a person but it did not kill God. Caesar, Nebuchadnezzar, Herod, Nero all came and they're gone, but it didn't kill God. And I want you to understand something. Our God is alive. He can still hear prayer. He can still meet the need. He can still lift the burden. And a nation in crisis needs to hear a bush burn and the message come forth. God's alive. Amen. Number two, God's able. Verse number eight said, I'm come down to deliver them. I'm glad God can hear and I'm glad God can see, but the icing on the cake is this. He can do something about it. The life of one becomes a source of solace and strength for others when that one's vitality is accompanied by ability. It's sort of like this. If you were to come to me and tell me all your cares and burdens, all that's going to do is probably discourage me, though I'll pray for you, but I can't do anything about it. 
But God says, call unto me and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. You know why? Because he's able to do something about it. And tonight I want you to understand it's not time to quit on America. It's time to shout it from the housetop. Use your live stream. Take your text and send it out. Send out a letter, an email, whatever you can to let our nation know our God's alive, our God is able. By the grace of God, I'm going to burn on for America. Moses represents a name that will be called a nation that's in crisis. And most importantly tonight... You've got to stay on fire because Moses represents another generation that's coming. Verse number 15 says this, And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever. Forever. You see that? And this is my memorial unto all generations. This bush had to stay burning. Why? Because this was much bigger than Moses in that moment. But this bush had to burn for the sake of another generation. The message that comes forth from this burning bush is simply this. The God of our fathers has not forsaken us. He's not forgotten us. He's not failed us. He's not moved on. He's still working. And not only is he going to work for us, he's going to work for our children and our children's children. This fire had to stay burning. Why? Because way after Moses would leave the scene, there'd be a nation, there'd be a people, there'd be children that'd be born that were going to need to understand that the God who did is the God who can do in their generation. Tonight, can I pray that you would just take this like a sledge and drive that spike of truth deep in your heart and understand this every footstep you and I leave will be filled by a smaller foot that's following us. One day we'll vacate our pulpits. We'll leave our pews. Our station, the choir shall be emptied. Our classroom will be given to somebody else. And it's so important that we pass a, a baton that's burning for God. A day is dawning. A day is dawning when the senior saints will be in heaven. The middle-aged saints will be senior saints and maybe in the nursing home. Those in the youth group are going to be parents. Those in the nursery will be attending Bible college. Another generation will arise. And I'm convinced that the spiritual resolve of any given generation is a reflection on the previous generation's spiritual resolve. We have what we have today because somebody burned for God yesterday. There's not been a church here for this long on accident. And there weren't churches before this on accident. And we don't have a King James Bible today on accident. And we don't sing the hymns we sing today on accident. And let me say, God is not just interested in the church today. He's interested in this church tomorrow. And he's interested in the preaching tomorrow. And he's interested in the choir tomorrow. And he's interested in the nursery workers tomorrow. And if we're going to have what we have today for tomorrow, we're going to have to pass something on that's not cold and it's not dead and not defeated. We've got to stay on fire for another generation that's going to come. Had this bush not burned, there'd been no Moses. But also there might not have been a David. There might not have been a Gideon. There might not have been an Elijah. There might not have been an Isaiah. There might not have been a Paul. And every generation is only one cold generation away from going extinct one cold pulpit one cold classroom one cold bus route we've got to stay on fire so we pass it down to the next generation it was good for our fathers and it's good enough for me but it's going to be good enough for that generation yet to come one day we'll turn over our station in the ministry let's turn it over on fire for God maybe God sold that bush I understand bush it's not pleasant to burn it's not popular to burn it's not in vogue to burn oh but listen it's so 
important. Let me tell you about a Red Sea that's going to part. Let me tell you about manna that's going to fall from heaven. Let me tell you about some Ten Commandments I'll give to a man named Moses. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about a preacher named Elijah. Let me tell you about a baby in Bethlehem. Let me tell you about a, a, a church that I'll establish. Bush, stay on fire. There's great things down the road. And I'm talking to you tonight. And I know we're not together, but I want you to hear this and let it grip your heart. Don't you quit on God. Don't you lay down on God. Don't you drop the baton on God. There's a generation coming. Your children's children will need North Valley Baptist Church. And their children will need a Golden State Baptist College. And can I say that next generation needs old-fashioned preaching. Stay on fire. There's another generation coming. I was riding to the office a couple weeks ago before all of this. And Lincoln was in the car with me and he had his little New Testament. And he said, Daddy, I have my Bible like you. And he's heard me say it so many times in preaching. The Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. So he's picked up on that. And he says, my Bible says, my Bible says, go to the nursery. That's what he'll say. My Bible says, I want ice cream. And so he'll use that. But I like that because he's seen another generation hold this book. My Bible says, Bible says, there's young preachers out there in America that need a, an old man. He said he was to stand and lead during a time like this. There's another generation coming. There's Bible college students. I heard from some of them today saying that it feels weird being home. It's no time for us to be discouraged. They need a bush that burns. You can see it when you pull in your church parking lot when we get back together and that car door opens up in the back and these little, little legs swing out with those white frilly socks and those black patent leather sh little shoes and a little pink frilly dress falls out of that car and has that little Bible and see, there it is right there. That's that next generation coming. I've used the illustration before, but I don't know, maybe, maybe I've not used it since I've been here. A preacher was giving a illustration to his church and he said there was a day when a young boy was trying to hear D.L. Moody preach. And he said he wanted so bad to hear the great preacher preach and he tried to get to the church and find a seat but by the time he got to the, the church it was packed and there were no chairs. They wouldn't let the young boy get into the building and the boy was standing despondent out in the alley behind the church. Suddenly a carriage pulled up. Out of that carriage came D.L. Moody. The man, the boy didn't know who the man was. He'd never seen Moody. He just heard of him and the preacher said to the young boy, he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm here to hear Moody preach, but I can't get in. There's no seat anywhere. And the man, Deal Moody, looked at him and said, son, hold on to my coattails. I'll find you a seat. That little boy grabbed onto Moody's coattails, not knowing it was Moody. And he led him through the side door of the church. And before he knew it, that little boy walked across the platform holding on to Moody's coattails. They walked over to an empty chair that was reserved for Mr. Moody himself. And Moody looked at the young boy and said, son, that's your seat tonight. He said, I'm D.L. Moody and I want you to have my seat. That pastor gave the illustration and said, and I want to have you know something. He said, that little boy in the story is your pastor. He said, I got to where I am today because I was able to hold on to Moody's coattails. Tonight, you might not even know them yet. God knows them, but they're not even born. You have grandchildren. One day you'll have them. Maybe you're, you have a son or a daughter yet to be born. They're going to need some coattails to hang on to that lead them in the right pathway. Now, I understand there's a backslidden generation of prideful people that say you ought not grab onto somebody's coattails. But I thank God for a path that's been paved. Amen. And tonight is so important, mom, dad, preacher, missionary, 
Christian, that we stay on fire. Why? There's another generation coming. Moses is a great man, a deliverer, a prophet, priest in some ways, a leader. But there never been a Moses, had there not been a little ugly, ordinary bush that burned for God. Tonight we can't all do what everybody else can do, but we can resolve to do what we're supposed to do in the will of God and just stay on fire for our Moses. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.